We are starting this morning a new series. If you're with us for the first time or you're a regular rockster, this is something that I know that um, many of us have been very excited about this new. I've been kind of you know, looking forward to it. Uh, we did some summer breaks. We did a two-week mini-series on what it means to be the church. Um, and, and typically, we go through books of the Bible. We take, pick a book, and we preach right through it. We, we learn the whole book, and we go verse by verse through it. But uh, earlier this year, uh, actually it was back in June, July, I think, I sent out an email to the elders and their wives in the church, and it's typically my pattern that when I go away in the summer, even though I get a Sabbath rest and I, and I get a break and you get a break from me and we have guest speakers, I'm always praying forward to the fall going, where do we go? What, what, what ministry do we need here as a church? Holy Spirit, Lord, help me, <laughs> you know, direct me. And so this year, I actually uh, sent out a, uh, an email to our elders and their wives, and I said, listen, here, a couple of questions. I said, what are the questions people are asking about God, faith, and Christian life in our church and community? So that was one question that I asked, like, would you give me some feedback, and what are you hearing in missional community group or just in, in your personal disciple relationships? And then the other question was, what do we as a body most need to know and why? And so there were, there were a lot of really good things uh, sent to me. There were a couple of suggestions on what not to preach on. I, I won't mention those subjects here this morning, but when, when I get recommendations like that, I'm like, well, then we're preaching on it. <laughs> but no. Uh, what the Lord put on my heart was this subject, wisdom. Uh, it, it, it just, from all the things that I was seeing, but also that was... Maybe it was current events. Maybe what's going on in our world, right? Where, where you, most of us, I think, are looking around going, where, where are all the wise people? Would somebody please stand up and say the right wise thing in our world today? Maybe that's where it came from. But then I asked myself, I asked this question. I said, Glenn, are, are you lacking wisdom? <laughs> stand in front of the mirror and ask yourself that question. Are you lacking wisdom? Well, I ask that question, and then I'm asking myself, I'm looking at whether it's uh, my own personal life, my my marriage, my relationships with other people, uh, circumstances that I find myself in, um, (laughs) or people asking me for wisdom and advice in their lives as a pastor, counselor, and and I'm, you know, as I'm looking at that, I'm going, okay, let's just be honest here, severely lacking wisdom. And oftentimes, I'm like, I get stressed about it because I don't know what to do or don't know what to say, what the right thing to do would be. I mean, listen, I, I'm, I'm not a young boy anymore um, or a young man even, and so I've got some experience in life. You would think I'd have enough knowledge and experience that I would know the right thing to do, but it seems that I get to these points in my life and I'm like, what do I do? Or when a person asks me about a crisis in their marriage or in their life or in their career and, and <laughs> give, me, give me some help, give me some wisdom, and you know, of course I pray, and, but I came to the conclusion, I lack wisdom. I do. I, I, I lack it. I need it desperately. So let me turn that around. <laughs> Since you know that your pastor needs wisdom, and most of you who know me know that, what about you? How are you doing on the wisdom scale, right? How are you doing when it comes to your personal relationships? How, how wise are you? You know, in your marriage, or just your friend relationships? What about certain circumstances that come your way? You know, the big ones in life, okay? The big ones in life. For example, who am I going to live my life with? (laughs) Right? You know, am I going to have this person as a boyfriend or a girlfriend? Um, Am I going to wait until marriage? Hmm. How wise are you? How wise have you been? 
What about in marriage? <laughs> you know, five years in, ten years in, kids come. Oh, there's wisdom. Like, how do you raise your children? So many questions about wisdom. It's, it's, it's incredible when you think about it that we're all in this, this soup where we really, if you're honest, if you look in the mirror, if you ask yourself, we're going to go through this today in this introductory message, which will be, I think, a bit challenging. We're going to be, I think, hopefully saying, yeah, you know what, I, 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 I may know a lot of things. I, I may have experience, but I lack wisdom. That's a good thing to confess, I think, right? That's a good thing just to be honest with ourselves about where we're at with that. And, and again, I think as we go through the series, especially next week as we look at really a, a definition more deeply of what wisdom is, it's going to be very challenging for us. And I hope, I hope is, is we'll just be honest with ourselves. So a good example, though, just recently, and most of you are part of The Rock, you know this, where I needed wisdom, where you needed wisdom, we as a body, as a church needed wisdom, was our building downtown. You know, we had family meetings about the fact that, you know, we're a little concerned about, you know, yeah, there are people moving away and then the giving and the finances, but we're just more concerned about the stewardship of this beautiful building that God has given to us with a very large mortgage and what should we do with it? And things have been going good. We've been making Jesus known there, but we had to ask the question, well, should we keep it or should we sell it? Or how better can we use it for ministry purposes? And so, you know, we, we talked about the money we talked about the, the facts, the knowledge, how much is coming in, how much is going out. So we knew all that stuff. But again, at the end of the day, m- me personally, maybe it was because of the weight of the financial responsibility of the stewardship that I felt personally. I just remember being in situations where, you know, I, I wanted to kind of pass the buck and say, is, some, is somebody else hearing from the Holy Spirit and has divine wisdom on this? Because I'm a little unsure. Well, it's, it's actually a good place to get to, because when you get to that place, it's, again, I knew the facts, we all knew the money side of it, and yet we needed wisdom from the Holy Spirit on where to go and what to do. And we're still seeking that. But that's a good illustration, I think. So we're both in this place, I would suggest to you. And one of the evidences that I also want to give to you that, there, that we are terribly lacking in wisdom in our world today, it boils down to one word. <laughs> And it's the word L-A-W-S. Laws, right? I mean, there used to be a day when there was really the top ten, right? You know, the Ten Commandments, right? Do this, don't do this. You know, with God, it was pretty simple, right? I'll give you you ten, right? How sad is it today that we have law after law after law after law? And what are the purposes of these laws that we keep enacting and writing and demanding? And yet fighting, right? The purpose of these laws is to get us to do what we know we should do. Why? Because we lack wisdom. Two examples. Well, one really good example, really, I'll just go with this one from the past two weeks. I don't know, can you guys believe this? Anybody in this room know that there have been fire bans in Squamish for the past 30, 60 days? Anybody not know that? <laughs> right? I mean... Two people, one at Porto Cove. I know some of you are going camping there this week. Maybe because of all the rain, they'll let you have a fire again. But one person last week was caught doing a, having a fire, an open fire, and then went up the valley somewhere also. They were fined $1,150. <laughs> but that's what it takes with us as human beings. Now, you might say, those guys are idiots, right? You might say that about them, but, you know, I, I don't want you to raise your hands how many of you in this room text while you're driving. 
still. Still. Right? We're lawbreakers, and we need more and more and more of them. So one of the things I, thoughts I had about this is that, I don't know about you, but it feels like at this time in history, but I think it's, it's not just this time in history. It's a generational thing. My parents lamented this. Your parents lamented this. Grandparents lamented this. It seems to be like we just never learn. It's just a cycle that goes around and around, and we're always doing, you know, repeating the same cycle generation after generation. Reminds me of the movie with Bill Murray. Remember the movie uh, Groundhog Day? Did any of you see that? Right? It was a great movie. Uh, it's become a classic, actually. They didn't think it would actually do well when it was first written. Uh, Tom Hanks actually turned it down. That was silly. And, and so Bill Murray, he, he plays this role of this reporter who goes to this little town, and it's a Pux, uh, Puxitani, I think. It's uh, Pennsylvania, right? And, and, uh, and he's there, and he really doesn't want to be there. He hates this job. He's got to report in this little dinky little town, that he, these people are boring, right? And he's got to be there for the Groundhog Day thing, you know, Puxitani Phil. Is supposed to show up, right? But then he wakes up in the morning one, one day and his, uh, I Got You Babe by Sonny and Cher is playing on the radio and he goes through the day and then he wakes up the next morning and the same song is playing and the same day happens. And the movie, it just goes on and on and on like that. It's, it's, it's a funny movie. It's very funny. But obviously there's a meaning there. There's a metaphor there that this is what life is all about for humanoids because <laughs> this is the kind of people we are. One of the wisest men who ever lived, one of the wisest men, pardon me, who ever lived, uh, was a man by the name of Solomon. Um, he actually, we're going to learn a little bit more about him today if you don't already know, but he prayed to God. He asked God for wisdom, and God gave it to him in spades, gave him all the wisdom that any man has ever had. But he writes in his book, Ecclesiastes, a book that we went through a couple of years ago now, and he writes this in, I believe, the first chapter. I'll put it on screen for you. He says, what has been is what will be. And what has not been is what will be done. What has been done, pardon me, is what will be done. And there is, look at this, nothing new under the sun. <laughs> and, and I love that. I, I love that. I actually had a marketing company one time, and I call it 2% creativity. Um, um, and, and out of that, I was basically saying there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, it, it's taken from a marketing guy who used the phrase, advertising is 98% plagiarism, 2% creativity. I was so creative. But the, the basis of it was nothing new under the sun, new and improved. No, not really, right, in the world. It, it's just we repeat ourselves. We go around in these cycles. We're not evolving. I'm just going to put that out there. We're not evolving, not spiritually, not mentally as human beings. And that was what the conclusion really of his letter was. So you want to remember this was written by the man who was given the opportunity most of us would die to have, and that is the opportunity to have one wish granted for anything we wanted. He asked for wisdom. That was, a good, that was a good thing. So here's a big idea, one takeaway that I hope you will leave today with remembering this, and it is this. And we're going to learn this from Solomon, but also from a study of knowledge, and it is this. You can have all the knowledge in the world, and yet without wisdom, still make horrible, bad, terrible decisions. You can have all the knowledge in the world, and yet without wisdom still have, make bad decisions. So I've titled the message, The Problem of Wisdom. The, the problem not with wisdom, but the problem of wisdom. You'll all remember, um, again, we went through this letter many years ago, James, uh, the stepbrother of Jesus, uh, a great little epistle. Um, I think it's an underrated epistle, and, and oftentimes it's kind of like just pigeonholed into this one thing. It's about trials and temptations and, and how to overcome them. 
It's actually a book about wisdom. It's an amazing little letter about wisdom. We're going to spend some time in it today, but also throughout our series. And in the series, we're going to spend most of our time in Proverbs, go figure, Ecclesiastes, and Parables of Jesus. Many of Jesus' parables are actually about wisdom. That is the big idea in the story of them. But in his letter, James says this in the first chapter, and this is going to be one of our big takeaways, I hope, for today. If any of you lacks wisdom, if any of you lacks wisdom, just ask God. Just ask him. Ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to you. So James is writing this letter probably around A.D. 70. So this is now like about 35 years after Jesus has died, been buried, risen again, and ascended. And the church has been born. You know, uh, many years of church planting have gone on. And yet he's writing to Christians who have the Holy Spirit of the living God in them, resident in them, who you would think have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to be wise. But he's writing to them saying, yeah, there's a problem here. You lack wisdom. And that's who he's writing to is these Christians. And so the good news is we will discover later as he points us to where we find the wisdom we need. So here's what I want to do. We now need to go and find out what the problem is, this problem with wisdom, where it all started. I'm going to ask, you can actually speak it out if you like, because, you know, we're, we're Mennonite brethren, which means mostly Baptists, so we, we actually can talk in the service if we want. Where do you think we're going to go to find out where this all started? Anybody? What book of the Bible might it be? Somebody be brave. Excuse me? Genesis. <laughs> it's the beginning. Right? We always, people laugh at the Rock Church because I'm always taking us back there to have a look at what happened there because it's foundational. Genesis 1, 2, 3 are foundational, these things. And so that's where I want to go. I want to take a little bit of a look at it. And so most of you know the story. In Genesis 1 and 2, uh, it's mostly about, besides you know, God created all things, he created the world, um, but it's mostly about God's goodness, about how about God's perfection, right? Everything in the first chapter and the second is about when he created a day or when he made things on a certain day, he finished with the phrase, and it was good. Every day, and it was good, and it was good. And then he gets to the sixth day when he creates Adam and Eve, you and I, humanity, and he says, it's very good. And so the picture that we get from that is that there's nothing but perfection. Now, in the midst of this perfection, there is created humans who are not God, who are less than God, so things aren't perfect, right? God's creation is perfect. What he does is perfect, but things aren't quite perfect because you and I are there. So God gives a very simple command to Adam in chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. And again, you know this, but just look at some of the words that are highlighted. It's important. God says to Adam, to the man, Eve has not been brought into the picture yet, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So God says the tree is about the knowledge of good, and there's a really important word there that is often missed, and it's the word and, (laughs) The key word there is the knowledge of good and evil. The reality is up until this point in time, and by the time certainly that the serpent shows up, Adam and Eve know everything there is to know about the goodness of God. They know that. And so the lie that Satan introduces is, 
is sad because the, the lie is the and part. The only thing they picked up from this journey down the wrong path is evil. And so Satan arrives, the serpent, and he does what he always does. He lies. He's the father of all lies, and he does it by distorting and twisting God's word, and most importantly, by questioning God's word. Because he said, did God really say? Right? That's how he introduces this. Did God really say this to you, that you, that you couldn't eat of these things, of the garden? Well, Eve is, Eve is the one he's speaking to at this point. He, she is his prey. Sadly, the man who God gave to her to protect her and provide for her is standing there like a wimp doing nothing. We need to see that picture. He's there right beside her. But the prey for the enemy is Eve. And he goes to her, and, and she answers pretty well. She mostly answers him correctly when she says this. We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, look what she says, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. So even the last part, the lest you die, is not like you shall surely die, right? It's a little lesser, isn't it? It's, it's a, like muting of it slightly. Well, listen, I want to suggest to you at this point, he knows he's got her. He knows he's got her. Right where he wants her. Because the reality is, she either just lied. Well, actually, there's three realities. Either Adam didn't relate this to her correctly. We don't really get that from the rest of Scripture. Or she lied. But significantly, she added to it, didn't she? With that little touch it bit. Now, that was incredibly what? Unwise. <laughs> Unwise. So I, I want you to see in this picture here, Adam and Eve, good, everything's good. God, right? And, and yet, they're lacking something. They're lacking wisdom. That was unwise. It was unwise to, first of all, engage this guy. Secondly, to distort and change God's word. Well, now the serpent, now Satan goes for, in for the jugular. He, he then says these words, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So what he does here is, is actually quite scary. It's, it's, it's what led to, obviously, the fall. But first of all, first of all he, he, he claims authority that he doesn't have. He says, well, that's not going to happen, as if he can assure that. You won't die. Trust me. Secondly, he suggests he knows what God knows. The implications are huge, and his goal is really simple and cruel at the same time. He convinces Eve and Adam standing right there beside her that, listen, he convinces them that there is more to know than what God's giving to you. You can know all you want to know yourself. You don't need God to help you with these things. You can know it for yourself. That's what he proposes to her. So she sees, look, in verse 6, this is what happens. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So she sees that the tree is good, for food at least, and that, of course, is good. Then she sees that it's a delight to her eyes, so it's beautiful, beautiful, which is always good. But then she sees that this tree is to be desired, and here's the important part. Why? 
because apparently it has the ability to make you wise. I, I actually struggled with the title of this, this series. Uh, most of you know I have a twisted sense of humor. So I was thinking of calling it Wisdom for Dummies, right? And, and, and you know, like you know, actually getting Daryl to design the screen with a yellow book cover, you know, Wisdom for Dummies, you know, get it at Barnes & Noble or online with your, your Kindle app, whatever, right? And then I thought, you know, most of you would not like being called dummies. Uh, but anyway, now you know that I was thinking of that, so it doesn't really matter. Um, but, you know, like I'm first in line, okay, for this. But why do I say that? Come on. Look at the story and then think about how it relates to you and I and how it's cyclical and we don't change. We're not better than Adam and Eve. We would do exactly the same thing. Think of the story. They are created in the image of God and placed into what? Paradise. <laughs> Some of you post on Facebook, you're where you've been traveling all summer, you're like, and it is, it, it, on earth, it's like paradise, like Maui, come on, like wherever, there's beautiful places, especially when it's warm and sunny, it's like paradise. That's where they're living. They're in paradise. They're in a place where there was no sin, there was no pain, there was no suffering. They had a multitude of trees that they could eat from. There's no, they were given it to tend it. But it's not like the impression was that it's going to be a heavy labor. No, it's almost like God is going to just continue to uh, cause these to bear lots and lots of fruit. And all you're going to have to do is go, hey, honey, want one? (laughs) That's pretty much the life that they had at that time. And we know from the end of the third chapter that In the cool of the day, every day, the God who created them would come and walk with them and talk with them. The one who created all things. The very presence of the creator with them every day. That's that's the story. That's the situation they're in. So now here's the dummy part. You have all that. You have all of that. And then some guy comes along and says, hey, got this new book got this new course, got this new path, got this new age spirituality, and here's all you have to do. You just got to read it, do it, work it, you know, work the plan, and, and, you know, study, work harder, get to know more, and by the way, it's all going to happen so fast, just basically the time it takes to eat an apple. Dummies. They believed a ridiculous lie. They, re- they believed that this good-looking fruit, that, well, it's food, so it's going to be good for me, could actually, in that short period of time, could accomplish all that. I want to suggest to you we do that all the time in our world today. We do it. We get all the facts and knowledge that we can. You know, we spend two whole weeks on Google, you know, checking out this and learning that and getting information, because information, like we're, th- th- we're in that age of information that it's there. I mean, you can learn everything you want to know. You can get a PhD in just pretty much anything, not really, but you, can, you think you can by going online and learning all these things, right? And, then, and after that, then maybe you're going to pray a couple of times. You know, you may even, you know, maybe talk to a few people and see what they think, and then we, the founts of wisdom that we are, we make a decision. Have you known anybody who does things like that? Do you know people who, you know, they come up to you and go, yeah, I was thinking of doing this or that or whatever. What do you think about this or that? And then they spend like this amount of time and then it's God's will. <laughs> okay, that was a little sarcastic. I didn't really mean it too badly. Dummies. Pure and simple. So here's one of the things that happened on that faithful day. Besides spiritual death falling on all of humanity, we also lost touch and contact with Wisdom. They lost touch with the wisdom of God. 
they lost touch with him. He wasn't gone completely out of their lives, but things dramatically, dramatically changed. And I would suggest to you today, culture is focused on gnosis, which is the Greek word for knowledge. It is the holy grail for a world that lives without God. So as I asked at the start, how did we get here? <laughs> how did we get here to the, to the day when the great idol of our culture is knowledge apart from wisdom? Well, it's certainly not a new thing. As I've already been suggesting, you Solomon, that was exactly his strategy. So here's a guy, and see, in the Old Testament, what happens is God gives his spirit and the wisdom of his spirit selectively to certain people. And when, when Solomon asked for it, God went, here it is. But he also gave him great wealth. He also gave him great intelligence. And, and so, so Solomon, who's, who's got the wisdom of God now, he, like he's, it's been imparted to him in a very spiritual way, and he's got it. All of a sudden, he goes, as a human, well, I think I'll conduct an experiment. <laughs> I'm going to see if I can set the wisdom of God aside, and I'm going to spend the next 40 years of my life seeing if I can find joy, happiness, peace, success in this life under the sun are the words that he uses. He repeatedly uses that, which literally means apart from God. In other words, down here where we live, where we as humans live. Well, do you guys know how that story ended? <laughs> Pretty badly. He spent much of his wealth. He was the wealthiest man in the world, but he spent a lot of his wealth. And he went around uh, um, womanizing. He partied. He went crazy. He built castles, right? He had amazing gardens with fountains all over the place. He poured himself into every new thing. He'd go on holidays on, in the summer, and he'd go, oh, I'm going to do this now, or I'm going to live here now. He, was just, he would just give himself to whatever came to his mind, his conclusion were these words, vapor. It's like chasing the wind, guys. Vanity. Futility. It's in the Bible. <laughs> we can study it. We can read it. We can, we can see evidence that he blew it, even though he had the wisdom of God given to him in its totality, and he blew it. And, and we, we, we should be able to read that and go, oh, okay, well, we don't want to make that mistake. So let's fast forward to the days after the wisdom in the flesh, Jesus Christ, came into this world, right? And the letter that James is writing, and, and he's still, even to Christians, he's, he's like, guys, what are you doing? Jesus came. You have the Holy Spirit living and residing in you. And, and you're still making bad decisions? Because you're trusting in human wisdom and, and human knowledge and all these things. Listen, at the end of his life, John, uh, one of the apostles, he, uh, he wrote what people believe is the, the last three letters of the Bible, uh, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. But 1 John, he dedicates primarily to writing to the churches. Now, this is he's 90 at this point in time, so it, it's somewhere like near the end of the first century, many years after Jesus has ascended and the churches have been planted and, and it's spreading all over the world, Christianity is anyway. And he's really concerned for the church, really badly concerned for the church. And we learned when we went through that letter, last summer, actually, we learned something very interesting. John is known for two words that he, he expounds beautifully in his gospel. It's the word logos, right? In the beginning was the logos, and the logos was with God, and the logos is God. Logos being Jesus, the word, right? So he was well known in Greek culture as a, as a you know, really uh, academically uh, wise Greek 
person, like the way that he wrote. And the, so he used those words specifically to reach the Greco-Roman culture. Well, in 1 John, he uses the word gnosis, gnosis, which is the Greek word for knowledge. And what he's writing to the people back in that day about is he's writing to the Christians, he's going, guys, do you not see what's going on in the church? This new sect that is blossoming in the church? It was the birth of Gnosticism, a heresy that would grow in the church and nearly destroy the early church. And John is writing against it. But this Gnosticism came out of a group of people who at first claimed to be Christians, and then they got to the point, 15, 20, 25 years of apparently walking with Jesus, the fount of wisdom, <laughs> the Holy Spirit apparently residing in them, and they were going, yeah, 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 it's just like everything else. It's not enough, you know? I've, I've done it. Like, I've done the Jesus thing. I've gone to church. You know, I've gone to small group. You know, I've given some money. Like, I've done that, and my, my life's just not any better. I'm, I'm not any farther ahead, you know. I still have pain and suffering, you know, and I, and I still have these people as my friends, which is not going well. And, and so they, they then decided that, no, you know what we need? This is a great new idea. We just need more knowledge. <laughs> That's what they decided. Gnosticism was born. So today we look at that and go, well, that's kind of silly. Really? Fast forward to the 1500s and 1600s, and a man by the name of Rene Descartes, right? The birth of the Enlightenment. There's a period of 500 years now goes by where, where you know, Christianity is still growing and it's, people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And now we get a group of people, philosophers in Europe, especially and in France, who are going, yeah, you know what? More knowledge. That's what we need. We need to focus on knowledge. But now, they're kind of losing their, they're losing their minds, right? Because what they start to do at that point in history is to start the question, which is good on one level, but they, they start asking this question. How can we know that we know anything? <laughs> like, listen, you've got to read this stuff, because I've, I've, read, I've read it, and I started rereading some you know, philosophy and psychology, and, and it's, it's, it's a little mind-bending. Um, there's some good... Um, uh, academic work being done there in the field of epistemology, which is the field of the study of knowledge. It's good work that's being done there, but they've gone, they've gone crazy. René Descartes nearly drove himself mad, and he finally came to the conclusion that, like, I, I, I can't know that that's true. I can't have certainty about this. I don't know if that's justifiable. I, I don't know if there's any way that there's truth in the world. Uh, because, you know, we could all be living in the Matrix. I mean, the Matrix hadn't been filmed yet, but they talk about that today in modern philosophy and psychology. And, he, and he's like, so, so uh, the best he could come up with at the end of all of his research, like Solomon going out there for 30, 40 years, didn't quite take him that long. But the best that René Descartes could come up with was this. There's only one thing I can know, and that is this. I think, therefore I am. Now listen, <laughs> I think that's pretty smart. But this guy's worshipped in the field. He's worshipped in the field. And so the question you may have is, what does this have to do with today? Well, everything, actually. It's how we got here today. Today we are at the the fulcrum of a focus on self, on self-improvement and self-realization. It's the birth really back in the 15 and 1600s today, and it's exploded today. It's the birth of naturalism, materialism, and most notably relativism, which permeates our culture. It is the pursuit of knowledge apart from wisdom that has resulted in the way things are today. That's why we're here. And that's why we find ourselves, listen, in a day and age 
with all the information that we have, with all the scientific and technological gains we have made, with more people educated beyond their intelligence than ever before, we shake our heads on a good day wondering, where are the wise men and where are the wise women? So let me propose to you today and for the rest of this series that we stop doing that. Let's stop looking out at the United States or Canada and to our leaders and to the world for that matter or to our local community. And why why don't we do this? Here's a good exercise. Why don't we start with ourselves? Why don't we start with you and me? And why don't we pursue wisdom? Do do you need it? Am I the only one with the T-shirt? Let's do that. Why don't we do that? Why don't we make that... Because listen... I I know many of you in this room, and I'm assuming those of you who are visiting here today, you found your way here today. You're smart, okay? You're smart people. We have a lot of knowledge, guys. We have a lot of knowledge, but a lot of things. And so here we have it. This is the problem of wisdom. We desperately need it. Why? Because like righteousness, we don't have it. In and of ourselves, we don't have it. Once again, your big idea for this series is, let me just point this out, bring it to you. You can have all the knowledge in the world and yet without wisdom still make very bad decisions. So look, next week we're going to look at um, a good working definition of wisdom for our series. Uh, We're going to look at one story from the life of Solomon rooted in Proverbs that I don't think you're going to want to miss. And and as we conclude, let let me suggest that we start this pursuit of wisdom with these two ideas. First of all, uh, I'm going to show you some verses from James in chapter 3, I believe, uh, where he goes a little further into it. And and let's read them together. I just want to make a few comments as we close uh, with this today. So this is where we find wisdom. Who is wise, James says, and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of of wisdom. We'll come back to this because there's some characteristics of godly wisdom that are beautiful and, quite frankly, very helpful to us. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is very, very key. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. So, where does wisdom come from? Where do we find wisdom? Not under the sun. Not down here, up above. We find it up above. And then look at this. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly wisdom, unspiritual, demonic, wise in our own eyes. For there, where, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be distorted and every vile practice. And I love what he actually finishes with where he says, but the wisdom from above, look at this. Here's the characteristics. I, I, could pretty, I couldn't stop underlining and highlighting things. Is pure, the wisdom from above. It's pure. Then peaceable. Then gentle. It's open to reason. <laughs> Full of mercy and good fruits. It's impartial. It's sincere. It's a harvest of righteousness and is sown in peace by those who make peace. So look, that's where it's from. It's not from me, 
the Holy Spirit can give me some wisdom, hopefully to impart to you, and it can give some to you that you can impart to someone else that you love. And, and, but but if, you, if you're quick with that advice, and you're not prayerful, and you don't understand where wisdom is coming from, and, and how to get it, then what you're going to give to somebody may not be helpful at all, or what you're receiving from somebody might not be helpful at all. And so how do you get it? This is what I want to ask you to do, and this is a big ask, because I know we're all busy, right? But would you maybe every day this week follow through on this verse? What James said in chapter 1, verse 5, when he said, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. What if this week, what if today, tomorrow, every morning when you get up, you go, okay, Lord, today uh, I'm looking at my, my uh, schedule here, uh, where I got to go, who I got to talk to, what I got to do. Um, okay, I need wisdom in three places. Could you give me wisdom? Could you, could you help me with this? I got to talk to this person. I got to have this meeting. I, 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 there's going to be this challenge. Or, or I'm in a situation where I don't know what to do, where I should go, who I should be with, how I should handle the circumstance. Pray and ask him. I love what it says in 1 Kings. I'll leave you with this verse in closing. When Solomon asked God for that wisdom, God not only bestowed it all on him, but also wealth and many other things. But then it finishes, that, that passage finishes with this. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked him. Adam and Eve lived with God. They could go to him any moment of any day and say, hey, how did you do this over here? Like, really? That plant? That fish? That's amazing. How did you do that? Oh, and by the way, um, Eve's pregnant. Didn't know that was going to happen. Um, what do we do? Can you help us? Not only with knowledge, but how am I going to raise my child? They had the very presence of God with them. You do too, Christian. You do, in the form of the Holy Spirit. And he just wants us to ask. And he's generous. He will give you and I all the wisdom that we ask for. Amen? Let's pray.